Hey everybody, welcome to episode 30 of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. Uh, on this week's show, we're going to talk about a few things. First off, I wanted to apologize that the show is coming out a little bit late. I got caught up in some copyright BS, so having had to resolve that in a different way, I'm not going to go into details, but take me a little while to get the audio to you, and uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much. You know, before I get into my audio, I would like to say one thing after uh, recording last week's show with Mr. Dan Michael of Daily Bikers. During the editing process, it really made me realize I'm like the Abraham Lincoln of podcasting with a high, sharp, tinny, terrible voice. I have a face for radio and a voice for something less than radio. So I'd just like to maybe enrich my vocal skills and maybe sound a little bit more like Mr. Michael did, kind of smooth and low. So I've been taking some pills that I bought off the internet to get my voice down to this beautiful bass baritone level that you hear now. So just wanted to point that out before the show starts. All right, thanks. <laughs> Sorry, I should have cut that before uh, before the wheelie question. We know it's not going to wheelie. Anyway, hey. Before I start the show, um, I'd like to give a few endorsements to uh, guests, past, present, and future of the show. Uh, Creative Writing would like to endorse dailybikers.com. If you heard last episode uh, with Dan Michael, you know what a cool guy he is. You know his motorbike adventures. And you know that he has this awesome site called dailybikers.com. It's a blog. It's a shop. It's all things motorcycling and much, much more. Go check it out. Check out dailybikers.com for lots of stories, personal gear reviews, ride reports, general insight into the mind of a fellow biker. And also, while you're there, click on the shop button on dailybikers.com or search Daily Bikers on Etsy to find more motorbike-related art and illustrated goodies such as birthday cards, wall art, candle tins, inspirational stickers, moto coloring books, and much, much more. Also, we'd like to give a huge shout out to our friend over at yetibuilt.com, yeti-built.com. Uh, Yeti Built features hand-built goodies for Jeeps and off-road enthusiasts. They have survival and everyday carry gear, bug-out bags, and much, much more. There's even a high-quality hitch-mounted motorcycle carrier available. Check them out on yeti-built.com or follow them on Instagram at the Jeep called Yeti. Also, if you can remember back to episode 16, I know it's been, you know, over 10 episodes ago, but goodbyemigraine.org reminds us that June is Migraine Awareness Month. And if you or someone you know suffers from migraines, please visit goodbyemigraine.org for resources, coaching, and tips on how to manage your migraines. Uh, Give Josette a call and see what she can do for you today. Also, if you're in the L.A. County or the San Francisco area and you're looking for some unique, one-of-a-kind ink, some art, or perhaps some custom design work, or maybe even a custom paint job, email Mr. Dugally at info at dugallery.com. That's gallery like an art gallery with D-U in front of it. Do gallery. Mark's a busy guy, as he stated on his uh, interview with us, that he's always around doing something. So if he's got some time... And if you're in the right place, you might be able to score some awesome artwork for your body or for your car or for your house or who knows, maybe he can design you something sweet for your backyard. He is an uh, architecture designer after all. So let's get into segment one of the show. Uh, Dr. K, are you there? Yes. Uh, Can you hear the traffic in the background? Shall I close my window? No, I don't hear anything in the background. Hey, Dr. K, how you doing tonight? Doing fantastic. All right, perfect. Are you ready to get into it? Yeah. Hey, you know who else we should uh, sponsor? That famous cider company that you uh, opened last year. That would be Dixon Cider. (laughs) Where can we find Dixon Cider? On the internet? Probably all of, that's all the internet's good for, probably is finding Dixon Cider, makers of local handcrafted cider for all your drinking needs. Contact Dixon Cider. <laughs> you figure it out. 
Anyway, thanks, <laughs> thanks for that one, Dr. K. Dr. K brought that one to the table tonight. So, hey, are you ready to get into some uh, flat track news? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, hey, listen, I reported a few episodes ago that Indian had received approval from the AMA to compete in the flat track racing. And they were building, you know, they recently have been pimping the Scout 60 all over with the Roland Sands, uh, having the hooligan class and getting those Scout 60 motors also uh, to put into his hooligan racers, his like whole fleet of hooligan racers. I knew it was just a matter of time and they've been developing it. So what they'll be doing is developing their FTR 750, and I'm assuming FTR stands for Flat Track Racer, you know, super generic. But anyway, they got this FTR 750 motor um, that's basically competition for the remainder of the year, but but they're going to be really developing it for the 2017. They're they're not really uh, competitive for this, you know, for this season. But the crazy thing is, is that when they announced their uh, who their development writer would be. It's none other than Jared Meese. He's the winner of the 2009 Twins Championship, the 2012 Singles Championship, and the 2012, 2014, and 2015 GNC1 champion, and this year's X Games gold medalist. He's going to be the development writer for Indian. And, you know, anybody that knows Jared knows he's been with Harley Davidson for quite a long time now. So it'll be really interesting to see you know, Harley Davidson and Indian revived these flat track wars of the last century. And uh, a lot of people forget that Indian is the oldest uh, motorcycle company in America and that Indian has been in races, you know, for a couple more years, at least in Harley. They're two years older than Harley. So they've been, they've had a couple extra years of racing under their belts. And uh, ultimately Harley, you know, Harley's needed a new bike for a while too. And when the Street 750 came out, I had a feeling that they were going to be developing and racing that also. And what happened this year was that uh, Davis Fisher ended up actually uh, being their development rider for that this year also. So that'll be in full competition next year. He raced it at the Springfield Mile, but I think they're going to be developing the X uh, XG. 750 this year too and basically trying to get that to replace the uh, xr 750 so it's it's a water cooled platform you know much more right now they have to basically uh i think on the harleys you know they don't make parts for them anymore the xr 750s they haven't made parts for like going on 40 years so this those things have just been having to get rebuilt and you're not allowed to custom make parts it has to be a stock motor based on the stock motor at least and so it's really interesting that they've been having to find new old stock you know nobody can make new parts for those bikes so uh harley's just been having to you know that that motor is getting more obsolete and more obsolete as their technologies have been moving on so it's about time they got a replacement motor i mean 40 something years it's a good run but at the same time you always got to be looking to the future so yeah, the XG750R um, based on the Street 750 engine is they're going to be their you know water cooled foray into this. So it's really kind of cool seeing. I don't know if if Harley would have made this move had Indian not you know jumped into the ring as well. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Doctor K, any thoughts on that? No. Do you know what flat track racing is, Doctor K? It's where you, it's actually shouldn't be called flat track. And some people call it dirt track because the track isn't flat. And if you saw last year's X games where Brian Smith took the win and this year's X games, it was almost like it's, it's a flat oval track, but it's anything but flat. It was almost like motocross. Uh, it was pretty interesting seeing these bikes huck around and just bounce through these, you know, turns. It's like the super prestigio, correct? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dr. K went to the Super Prestigio with me and that was pretty fun. But that was indoors and that was a tiny track. We're talking Uh, we're talking a track, you know, much bigger than that. Much bigger. I'm not 100 percent sure how big the uh, if it's a half mile at Austin. I don't think it's a half mile, but even like a third mile or a three eighths mile is way bigger than, you know, that little tiny track. That thing was just like an arena that wasn't even a. I don't even know if that was an eighth mile in there. I doubt it was. Yeah, that was a tiny track. So anyway, yeah. on the 
at the Coda track, that you know, that was just like a bumpy mess. It's an oval track, but it just gets potholes in it and like bumps here and there. And these guys are like hucking and bouncing and their back tire. Like there was a, I think Stevie Bonzi, there was a picture of him uh, doing a wheelie out of a corner because his front hooked and the back didn't. And he like started to wheelie up out of the, you know, basically like hit a bump and it launched him into the air and he did a wheelie out of this corner at you know 80 miles an hour or something it was pretty pretty awesome uh one thing i did want to mention about flat track is in a couple weeks coming up uh this weekend actually there's going to be an event at oklahoma and i talked about this with uh michelle in episode 24 you mean steve Uh, whoops i was talking about this with steve in uh, episode 24 so a good six weeks ago that you know, when they were going back to Arizona, they hadn't run that in a long time. Now they're going to Oklahoma. They're going to be running all over. I actually have the schedule uh, pulled up where they're going to be hanging out at. They're trying to, especially with, you know, going to the X Games and all this, what they're trying to do is they're trying to expand flat track. They're trying to get it into new markets. So they're going to places that they haven't been to in a while. They're going to places where perhaps the hooligan events are growing. And see, that's the other thing too, is that this is just the main circuit. There's They're always out here at Paris racing. It's almost like when Tony Stewart used to race NASCAR, but then he'd go race like a dirt track in podunk wadodunk whatever podunk state there is podunk wadunk nebraska i think that's actually a city in nebraska so i might not be wrong about that but anyways that's the sort of thing these guys are doing they're always staying on their skills they're always staying sharp i mean they race all these little fairgrounds and events all year round keeping up on their skills getting money i mean you know they they win money there too so it's it's money in the purse it's food on the table and so all these all these circuits, basically, that you you don't see. Um, I guess my point, what the, the point I'm trying to make is that these guys are always doing flat track and always promoting flat track in these new markets where there's not like a part of the national circuit. I'm super sad that they quit racing at Pomona because I swore I was going to go and then I didn't. And then they said it was the last year and I was like kicking myself in the teeth. And then they said, oh no, the next year it's going to be at Pomona. You know, that was last year, the 2015, they, they changed it. The finals will be at Pomona about halfway through the year. They changed it to Vegas. And so that's why I met you in Vegas and we did a little, you know, we watched the finals and the super prestigio and yeah, the thing is, is that like Vegas is a new market for flat track basically. Um, so that's, it's interesting to see ever since then they've been going to, uh, new markets. The hooligan class has been opening up stuff. They like at mama tried, they had ice racing and soda track racing and the hooligans was like stealing the show. Some people complain about hooligans, but before I get into that, uh, speaking about the promoting and new markets and stuff, there's actually the AMA, they announced the formation of a subsidiary event promotion company called AFT events, which I'm assuming is like AMA flat track events or American flat track events, whatever AFT uh, officially stands for. I don't know, but they have this core focus. It's, it's part of the AMA, but it's like a separate company that they're forming to just for promoting purposes uh, to promote flat track, get flat track out there into new markets, you know, probably run with this hooligan class. I've heard Jared Meese in several articles talking about it because I've heard a lot of backlash from the, uh, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Cause I've never heard it for in the actual event. I've never heard anyone complaining about hooligan class, but some news outlets that I read and uh, listen to and some motorcycle shows that I listen to that are professional racing motorcycle shows. They seem to bitch a lot about the hooligan class because it's just like, you know, because it's not a pro out there. And I say that's what's awesome about it. It's like going to a football game and seeing a bunch of fat dads out there playing at <laughs> halftime, but playing like they mean it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So well, I'm not 100% familiar with, I'm sorry, but I'm not 100% familiar with the classes of racing either. So what exactly is a hooligan class? Right. Well, at the Super Prestigio, See, the Super Prestigio is a little bit different because that was professionals from every single discipline of racing getting a chance to compete in flat track. That's what the Super Prestigio is about, and that's why it's so awesome. And the hooligans basically, you know, 
the fans have to sit there and wait while the guys are wrenching on the bikes and doing like ha- basically what it amounts to halftime during a race. So if they didn't have the hooligan class to watch, they would just be sitting there bored out of their gourd while the guys are doing their stuff, you know, and pardon me. And when the guys break down or like they wreck something and they need to get the bike back together, that ge- it just gives them a little extra time. If you give like the hooligan class, you know, it's basically like a bike that you could ride there race and ride home and it's evolved a little bit more since then because now they've got like hooligan pro one and (laughs) hooligan street one you know what i mean like even the hooligan class is evolving now but what it does is it gives you a chance to ride a bike that's not uh you know in flat track there's specific rules and regulations just like nascar you couldn't like build your street car up to you know 800 or 500 uh, horsepower, whatever NASCAR is, and then just take it to the track and be like, all right, dude, I want to race against you guys. They'd yeah. be like, dude, yeah. There's, it's it's kind of like a pro football. You don't just get uh, a bunch of dudes together and say, I've got a team and I want to play the pros, all right? So what the hooligan class does is basically let you do that. They are the fat dads at the football game that are playing while the, you know, the pros are doing halftime. They are... Uh, you know, and they do take, take themselves seriously. So there, when we were at the uh, flat track at the Super Prestigio, you noticed that all the pro guys and then the pro-ams and all that stuff, they were all like on basically what looked like dirt bikes, right? But just with yeah. flat track tires on them. And then remember the hooligans was like the Indians and the Harleys. And I don't know if there was a Ducati maybe out there too, but they're just, they're basically like big, heavy not purpose-built street bikes, but they've been modified to, you know, you can modify them as much as you want to go around the track. I don't think there's any rules in Hooligan. That's what's so cool. But at the same time, they have to be practical enough to go around because there were some bikes there that were, I mean, all the Hooligans are pretty competitive, actually. But they're bigger, they're heavier, they hurt more when you go down and crash on each other. They're not as nimble, you know what I mean? And they're not as, they're basically not as fast because they're not as light. So when you're racing on a track as small as, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're, you know, they're 1200 CC bikes made for the cruising down the street, not for blowing around a dirt track. So, um, so yeah, that's the hooligan class. Dirt quake is the reason why it's so cool. It kind of got it hip again. Trackers became like this thing that, um, people like, and people like to watch and people like to build cause they're nice to build it. You know, it's almost like a cafe racer, but cafe racer gets old after a while. And then like, you know, everybody's got a cafe racer. Well, I want to scramble. I want to, I want to go off roading sometimes, or I want to race in some, you know, like out here, the hell on wheels club does a lot of vintage motocross, but then they also have like a vintage, you know, any class. So maybe you have a bike that's not made for motocross per se, per, you know, jumping and all that stuff that old motocross bikes were designed for. Maybe you have like a Harley bobber or something and you, but you still want to jump it and race it. They got a class for that. So that's what the hooligan, like those guys have been, have been doing hooligan shit forever because they would just race whatever they had. Well, now that that's becoming cool, the AMA is latching onto that and it gives the fat dads of the world a chance to get out there and ride their bikes around. And it, it ba- and basically, Hell on Wheels does motocross and steeplechase stuff too. So, I mean, they give everybody a chance to do everything where the AMA, uh, right now it's just flat track. You know, I, I don't think they want to see people out there jumping Harleys on a motocross track and stuff, you know. But I, th- I think motocross fans would give a hell of a lot more pushback than flat track fans do just because flat track, it's fun to see people sliding bikes around corners. You know what I mean? So the hooligan yeah. class, you know, they're getting into these markets. They're getting younger people involved because, you know, hooliganism and, you know, being a hooligan made popular by Ken Block and all of his Jim Connor videos and all that. Um but doing it on a bike. So, you know, now you're doing it around a track and there's actually a class that got made for you. So it's like legally being a hoon, you know what I mean? So I don't know. So it's pretty cool. And and Jared Meese said he really likes it. He likes seeing the guys go around there. He likes that the fact that people are riding trackers on the street and getting interested in motorcycles and motorcycling again. And the whole industry really should, even though it gets fucked out after a while. But 
that's also what's bringing flat track to these new markets. And it's also what's bringing flat track to fans. And what you'll see, I think, in any motorsport is an ebb and flow. Because back in the 80s, motocross was huge. And we had people like Brock Glover and fuck Rutger Hauer was in a movie about called Spetzers Spetters yeah called Spetters it's a horrible movie by the way don't watch it it's like so depressing (laughs) but the thing is there's like there's like anal rape and suicide and it all revolves around Swedish motorcycle championships so but but that's the thing like in the 80s there was a lot of motocross you know and there was a lot of like Carlsbad was famous it was a it was a raceway it was a drag strip and there was a motocross where they used to have superbikers championships televised on ABC Sports nowadays supercross and motocross is kind of niched down and MotoGP you know like everybody talks MotoGP and only pretty much people in certain circles talk about motocross anymore even though motocross is an international thing and a super huge national thing and then we got like spin-offs like arena cross and supercross which if you don't know the difference i'll tell you about that in a little bit but anyway the, the point being is that there's an ebb and a flow and and basically just like car racing in the in, in the 70s and 80s it was all um there was a, in the sixties, there was a lot of drag racing and you'd see, you saw funny cars, you saw, you know, big daddy Roth making custom cars and they would like burn them up in a straight line, you know, uh, the seventies, maybe NASCAR had a good run, but, but in the eighties and nineties and definitely the two thousands, the early, early, well, I'm going to say late nineties, you saw lots of touring car stuff and touring cars were showcasing your standard sedan hauling ass. I remember when I first started watching speed before it was speed vision. And before there was any other basically cable car channels, you know, like now you have velocity and you might even have like some other ones that I don't even know about. But when there was only speed every year, they used to show the SCCA nationals. They would show like the whole week of racing all the SCCA classes from Formula V all the way up to like D Sport Racer, like super, mod- you know, the most modified formula class, you know. So I was so stoked. And they would always show British Touring Car, World Rally Championship, Dakar Rally. Now you have to go. And then they would also show motorcycle racing and stuff. And now, now it's like NASCAR and F1. Like that's it basically turned into NASCAR channel. And all the shows that were cool on that channel have gone to other sports packages. And now, like, you can't even watch American road racing on TV anymore. You have to subscribe to be in sports, which is like a it's a Spanish or a European sports network that's brought itself over here uh, due to popular demand for soccer and motorcycle racing. Because they're the only place you can get MotoGP. They're the only place you can get World Superbike. And they're the only place you can get American racing, ironically enough, is on like a Spanish um, cable channel, right? So it's just interesting, all this ebb and flow and stuff. So right now, flat track, getting, getting back to the point I'm making, is that these styles of motorcycling have ebbed and flowed. And I don't even think people would have known except for the fact that like back in the seventies and eighties, you had to road race, you had to do motocross and you had to do flat track in order to be a grand national champion. Now they split the three disciplines apart. So you don't have to do that shit anymore. Or actually you used to have to road race, race half miles and race miles, you know, race short track and long and miles. So you had to do those three things to be a champion back in the day, back when Mert Lawwell was, was racing. You know, if you ever watch on any Sunday, and nowadays they've totally split them apart. So it totally ebbs and flows just like car racing. You know, I'm, I'm assuming that NASCAR and F1 are going to start getting boring and like weighing out and people are going to get back into road racing. You know what I mean? And the coverage yeah. coverage for road racing and rally is getting super hot right now and has been growing. And then it'll probably die out and get back into like drag racing and then drag racing will probably go away and it'll go back to NASCAR. Like there's just a constant ebb and flow and, you know, right now, flat track just is growing and the whole hooligan class and everything getting back this whole AFT events company that the, the AMA is, is splitting off is basically for that, 
for getting people in these other markets interested in where the sport's going and building on it and selling shit, especially now with all the scramblers coming online, there's like almost factory flat trackers ready. That's something else I wanted to talk about. While we're on talking about promoting, I just want to say that in a couple weeks at the Lima Mile, uh, Jared and Nicole Meese, the famous uh, racing husband and wife, you know, she just quit racing. She raced in the X Games, but she retired last year from uh, AMA circuit racing. This is their first foray into promotions. So they're they're promoting the Lima Mile. They bought the promotional rights. And so they're going to be promoting that. And that's also where the AFT it, company is going to be making their debut and also, you know, run with the promotion sides of flat track. So just wanted to throw that out there while we were talking about promotion and while we we're talking about growing the sport and all this and that. Anything, anything you want to say, Dr. K? I feel like I've been rambling on. No, no. All right. Quite informative you are. Right, right. So the thing I wanted to say about factory turnkey flat tracking is obviously with Indian jumping in now and Harley developing their new, you know, Davis Fisher has been riding the, um, the XG750R, but on the miles, the Kawasaki's have been killing it. And you know, the Triumphs and Ducatis weren't doing so bad either, but, uh, there's something interesting that they were, I just had read an exclusive technical preview of Indian's dirt track race engine on cycle world. And Kevin Cameron, who is like their, you know, head gear, gearhead, their main gearhead, I should say, um, he gets into the technical stuff. And he was basically flew over to Switzerland to visit the Polaris factory and visit the designers and all that stuff to talk about it. And he was looking at the engine and it's got an 88 by 61 and a half millimeter bore and stroke. And it basically makes uh, 109 horsepower at 10,000 RPM. But the tires specifically are supposedly only like 70 horsepower tires, which means, you know, all the bikes are probably somewhere, you know, up around the 100, 110. I don't know the specifics of all of them, but they make a lot more power than they can get to the ground. So the, the tires, you know, you're not running knobbies, you're running dirt track tires. And they can only they can only handle so much. So seventy horsepowers is what the lead engineer was calling those tires. So they're trying to get hundred horsepowers down into a seventy horsepower tire. And that bore and stroke, I think, was the biggest that I'd seen because he compared it to a couple other motors. An eighty-eight by sixty-one and a half. If you think about it. People love to stroke motors all the time, and that gives it more displacement because now you're increasing the stroke of the cylinder. But at the same time, if yeah. you think of surface area versus stroke, if you were to do basically like decrease the diameter and increase the stroke length, you would see that it doesn't always make it better to stroke something rather than like increase displacement of the surface area. Because basically, what you're doing, like if you had like a two inch cylinder with like a you know two inch stroke versus like a half inch cylinder with like a four and a half inch stroke or three and a half inch stroke you know what i mean like it's longer for it to travel for less surface area and your combustion pressure isn't pushing you know it's pushing a longer rod down instead of more surface area so there is like sort of a um, negative returns, basically, if you if you don't engineer your engine right. So I thought that theirs was pretty interesting because it was the biggest surface area. It's 88 millimeters. You know, the other ones like the the Street 750 is 85 millimeters by 66 millimeter bore and stroke. Um, the Kawasaki Ninjas are basically running an 83 by 60 millimeter. Um, the Yamaha FCO7 based uh, trackers are running an 80 by 68.6 millimeter you know that's fine but the thing is is that also when you have inertia going down and it has to stop and then come back up the longer your stroke uh, it's also like more inertial forces acting on that so i think they're going indian starting off the bat like with this bigger you know bigger surface area and shorter stroke i think it's pretty genius um because it, it's still going to deliver some power you know, it's still going to have, but having the shorter stroke means that you can get higher RPMs. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do with the shorter stroke. 
because it takes less time to move down and back up and getting that much surface area with heat exploding on it you know you're just getting basically more force so i don't know i'd rather i would rather go with bigger um pistons in a shorter stroke than the other way around so it looks basically from the stats that i saw on on this page it looks kind of like indian is getting it right straight off the bat you know what i mean so they got i from what i read it looks like they got a 14 to 1 compression ratio i forget what the valves and everything were made of but yeah it was just everything about it was looking pretty sweet like pretty competitive right off the right off the bat and one of the things they were saying is they could go 30 hours without having to replace like the main bearings. Harleys have to get that replaced after every single race. I'm not sure that's talking about the the XG. That's probably talking about the XR750 because that thing's just so old. And like I said, it hasn't been changed for 40 years. The parts they're using, you know, they're just wearing out. So that's probably another reason why they're going to the XG. But having to change out and tear down your engine after every national to replace a you know, a main bearing is, or the crank end bearings or whatever the hell it was, or the, maybe it was the rod bearings, but still that's tearing apart your whole engine every time to change bearings that directly impact the way it's going to run. So, I mean, it's just, it's crappy to think about the fact that, you know, Harley has to do that after every race where these guys will be able to kind of chill a little bit yeah okay the ftr has steel valves and steel connecting rods and has a 30 hour service interval compared to the xr750's need for fresh crank or big end bearing assembly so crank bearings or big end bearings which you know the big end bearings are the where the piston um connecting rod gets bolted to the crank shaft that's your big end bearings so yeah the, the crank the crankshaft basically has to get taken out of a Harley every time after every single race and have those bearings replaced because they're so hardcore on it. So, yeah, I don't know. That's pretty insane to have to tear it down that far, you know, tear it to pieces. I'm sure they might already do that just to check for wear. <laughs> you know, maybe they, they already do that crap, but it'd be nice not to have to tear it down to the crank, you know, after every single race. So. Anything else, Dr. K, to add to that? I feel like I've been rambling for half an hour. No, but I know nothing about motorcycles, so everything you told me. <laughs> sounds, <laughs> sounds legit, right? Yeah. You could have told me it was the around, around to it bearing, and I would have I been like, okay. Let's move on to some other racing, the Isle of Man racing, real road racing. You know, after there was a couple, there was a death or two at the Northwest 200, and uh, everyone leading into the Isle of Man, of course. So the Isle of Man this year was pretty, I don't know. I was excited for Ian Hutchinson because he was riding an RC213VS. I know that you were super stoked about that bike too, right? Yeah. Was it one of the ones I looked at when you, when you did your <laughs> sure. No. It's, the, uh, it's Honda's basically street version of their MotoGP bike. It's got a V4 in it and... Uh, I don't know. It's just a four-stroke V4 MotoGP bike and street trim, basically. So he raced one of those around the island. And he was favored to win. I think everybody had their eyes on him just because of that bike. And he set a lap record in practice. And wow. so come come race time, uh, it was pretty amazing. He was beat out in you know the main the main event there's a there's a bunch of different events that happen so when when you hear that so and so has won like 40 races like john mcginnis has, has like this insane record it's because he races in like six different races over the course of the week <laughs> you know wow. there's like a there's like a poker star senior tt there's the uh super stock tt there's a super bike you know there's all these different classes ian the the main one is the um the senior tt i believe and that is what you know the overall win you know when you win that that's like the big daddy and so basically ian hutchinson set this lap record in practice time and everybody was like oh my god and out and out the bikes are getting faster all of these uh, maybe it is you know i always talk on every single show about somewhat about rider aids and like new technology and all this stuff and the way people ride 
more confidently with these things. Maybe that's what it is that bikes are getting faster and faster and faster because after he, you know, all the speculation and he set this practice lap record, he was beat out by the completely emotionless uh, Michael Dunlop. AKA the T1000. Yeah. T1000. Yeah. Big red eye. And the thing is, is that, a guy Martin didn't rate the race this year. And I think he wiped out at the Northwest 200. And I don't know if that's what, you know, I don't know if guy Martin's ever going to come back and race just because a couple years ago he had his bike exploded. He crashed. He didn't remember like a half an hour of his life, you know? And yeah, it was a, it was like one of the worst crashes on the Isle of Man and he still survived. So they're like, Oh my God, he raced the year after that, I believe, but not this year. And basically, I think it's because of his crash at the Northwest 200. He he got knocked out there, too, I'm pretty sure, and was just a little banged up. And they're not very far apart. They're, I think, just a couple of weeks apart. And so, you know, he decided not to race. And he's got so much stuff going on. And uh, who knows if he's going to be back. But the thing is, is Michael Dunlop, he's always been a guy to watch. He's always been a really fast racer. And uh, he's, he's, he's a good guy. But, you know, he's an, an Irish guy, so he's a little bit hard to understand. Nothing like Guy Martin. Guy Martin is just like feeding a woodchuck crack and then just listening to it chatter. But that's the thing. At least Guy Martin has this crazy personality. You can't under understand either of them. So that's the thing. I'd rather hear this like chattering gopher that looks like a wolverine than this like monotonous, um, you know, guy from Northern Ireland that kind of did good and you know, did really good. I just, uh, uh, you know, I set a new lap record, sure, and I broke some times. It's great. You, you kind of wish you talked like the Pikey from Snatch. Something, <laughs> yeah. Even if I, even if I didn't understand him, just a little bit more. You know, he sound he's worse than like a public radio, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? like Wisconsin public radio selling their shvetty balls. Uh, the thing is, is that he. Uh, all the shit talking I do about Michael Dunlop, he came out and set a new record, like outright record, not just like a crazy. He, he went like a, I think he went 133 some odd miles an hour average speed too. That's average. So you're talking about from the slowest 10 mile an hour turn in the hairpin up to, you know, probably 200 plus on the straights. I think they're reaching now. So the average average speed of his lap was 133. So that's just insane. And I forget what the time was, but yeah, he did it. Good for him. Clap, clap, clap. Now get a personality. You know what I mean? Like nobody, I don't know. I love that he's fast and all, but there's plenty of fast guys over the years that have also had like some sort of personality. He's just so uh, monotonous. He is like the T-1000. I sound like you're doing like a Beatles impersonation back there for a second. Yeah, like, that's I was doing Liverpool new record. <laughs> yeah, I was doing like a Liverpool instead of Northern Ireland. <laughs> you know, I'm not really up on my accents. Yeah, that was just something real quick I wanted to talk about. And right on the back of the Isle of Man TT, they're already sending me emails. Hey, yeah, the TT's over, but don't don't fret. The classic TT is coming up because they there's not just one Isle of Man TT anymore they have uh the manx tt maybe or the manx gp and the classic tt which is where they race like vintage stuff and they race all the other classes that aren't super stock super sport super bike you know all that stuff and hmm. or and sidecar because sidecar races like the week after the the main tt and so yeah you get like this like two or three week window of racing and and all that stuff and then it takes like a couple week break and then they bring in the other ones like uh motorcycle and misfits friend Yuri Bergen raced a supermoto there last year. They race thumpers, they race twins, they race classic bikes, all that shit that takes place in a separate race a couple weeks later. So they're already emailing me stuff for that. Get your tickets and, you know, reserve your spot, reserve your hotel, blah, 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 blah. I do have a quick video recap of the real street drags action that took place in Kakana, Wisconsin. And I think I might have blabbered off the results from the Facebook page of the WIR top 10 bikes list. But here is Nitrous Michelle in her own words, speaking to our own mailrooms, Jim Handybone. Take it away, Nitrous, whoever you are. Nitrous Jim Handybone. It is Nitrous Michelle here at the WIR along with Jason Goldfinger with the beer. 
Guy Belanger and the Misses. Nitrous Chris, the Whirling Dervish, and Mr. Codis. Hello, how are you? So, uh, it was a good night of racing. It ended a bit early this evening due to Mother Nature. Let me show you the sky. See that? No rain, but it rained for like five minutes and took us out. Yeah. In that time, what all happened? Uh, Chris my shirt. and <laughs> Jason Goldfinger raced, and Chris took the win on that one. And Chris is now sitting at number five. still at number five. Who else raced this evening? You did first spot. I raced first spot against Preston Nipple. Oh, There's a K in front. It's silent. Preston Preston's nipples way more fun sounding. So um, he and I raced, and I uh, took over the number two spot. And then who else raced first spot this evening? I did. Guy Guy Belanger right there. On the game. I raced Guy. I raced for the nine spot against uh, Terry. Burmeister. Oh. And Guy took the win. Terry uh, took a minor step down. And then we were going to go up for another round of neat things, and the rains came. So we got shut down for the evening. And right now we are pit racing, as you can see. It involves cans of beer, homemade taco dip, homemade mac and cheese from our good buddy, uh, Dustin. And we've got some storms rolling in. See? Rainstorm turned into a taco dip and a mac and cheese party. Taco dip and mac and cheese party. Like a boss. So, those are the updates on the WIR top 10 list. And we will catch you in a non rainy day. Awesome! Everybody? Yeah, Tiger! Oh, Dude, whirling dervish, you have no clue. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a recap of the real street drags from a couple of weeks ago before the rains came in and swept. Since then, they all participated in the King of the Streets down in Chicago, uh, which I believe is in Oklahoma somewhere. Chicago, Oklahoma. That sounds right. I am no geography major. I, I'm, it could be Chicago, South Dakota. Is that right? Does that sound right? Yeah. Dr. K, you are the uh, professor in the room. So, yeah. Anyway, the king of the streets, you're going to have to check out. Since it's not our lovely friends at the WIR Top 10 Bikes of Kakana, I'm not. Uh, it's out of my jurisdiction of coverage, to be honest. And there was lots of footage, lots of wheelies there, by the way. Lots of uh, pants shitting, butt puckering moments, it looked like. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. And... If you go and check those out, there's some really interesting moments. They're doing burnouts through crowds of people. Uh, apparently, they just let anyone come down and stand on the strip while the cars are taken off. They might as well just line the strip with people and just like <laughs> let, let the bikes and cars just shoot down uh, you know, the drag strip with people as the Armco barriers. So at any rate, yeah, go check that out. It looked like a heck of a lot of fun. So thank you. Thank you, Mankey, Stanky Pits, for uh, turning us on to that. And another thing that uh, Mrs. Mankiewicz, Steve Mankiewicz, uh, told us about, and I actually saw, like, literally hours after she texted me it, was uh, Angel Sampy. She returned to racing after a nine-season absence to win the NHRA Summer Nationals in Eng Englishtown, New Jersey. Now, this individual has, I believe this was her 42nd title or something like that. and you know, after 41, she took some time off. She got married. I believe nine seasons she's been absent. So I believe that's somewhere like eight years. You know what I mean? So she, she got married, had a kid, her five-year-old daughter. Basically was the impetus for her to return to racing because she wants to be a positive role model and, model and teach her daughter, you know, that she can do anything. And so, dude, she gets back in the saddle of this like 3,000 horsepower drag bike and beats the hometown champ, Jerry Savoy, at uh, Englishtown, New Jersey, in crosswinds that were so strong, she said they almost blew her across the center line. And Michelle Mank Steve Mankiewicz told me that there was like 20-mile-an-hour crosswinds. So, I mean, dude, talk about having to lean left to go straight, you know what I mean? So, yeah, props to her. That's pretty cool. It's always cool to hear uh you know women they do it all they take time off to have a kid they squirt a kid out of their body they uh you know pick up their dry cleaning cook for their husbands and then blow assholes away at the track so <laughs> yeah it's a pretty amazing
And one of the last things I wanted to talk about is, well, EBR. Uh, Eric Buell was on an episode of the Wheel Nerds recently, their last podcast, I believe. And he got he got a chance to explain it to himself and he got a chance to talk about the company and talk about, you know, certain things and shuttering of Buell back when Harley had him, you know, back in 2010 and the implosion. He didn't really go in too much into the implosion of hero because we've, you know, everybody's that's been following him since Harley shuttered the doors on him pretty much followed that debacle, you know, and his foray into not being being the owner of his own company anymore and this and that. So here's the deal. You know, the guys at bottom said that they weren't going to liquid asset partners bottom. They're not going to liquidate his assets after all. They really are motorcycle enthusiasts and they want to see him succeed. Last year he had a homecoming. Uh, and no, well, I, th- I forget if it was last year or if it was earlier this year. But anyway, he opened the doors again. He's only uh, on his new EBR headquarters. He's only got like 15 dudes there. And uh, it's a really small team of basically engineers and developers and designers and stuff. So it's, you know, parts are available. Um, I, he, he talked already about racing. And here's the thing. Uh, Shalina Moreta recently signed with Splitleth Racing. And Splitleth, when Eric Buell Racing first started, uh, struck out on his own, they got some of his bikes and they've been racing in like these Chinese series and Asian series and basically like super bike races over there. And the couple, they might have raced Macau. They might have done a couple of global ones, but they don't do, you know, world super bike or anything like that, where some of the other people were, were racing EBRs. For whatever reason, they just stayed over there. And he said that one of the racers quit because they were just sick of traveling to China all the time. It's hella far from Wisconsin. And basically, the Splitleth team just has been over there. I, I, I mentioned them a while back. I forget exactly what they do, but I think they're based out of Hong Kong. So they're already over there, you know. So it's he was talking about how he's been racing with them. He, I mentioned that, you know, EBR is a racer. He was a racer before he was a motorcycle engineer. And now he said it's basically the other way around. He's, he's an engineer a hell of a lot more than he, than he rides and races. But the thing was, is I was even bagging on him a few episodes ago. I felt like he was a guy that was designing bikes to go racing. And that may still be true to some degree, but what he said is that he never designed the bikes to go racing with the company money. He only went racing because he got sponsorship money to do so. So he put EBR, which is Eric Buell Racing after all, and I guess it would just be EBB, Eric Buell Bikes, if he wasn't designing race bikes. So EBR, basically, uh, he got sponsorship money he used the sponsorship money. He went racing. He wasn't using any of the income that was, you know, supposed to be going directly back into the company for racing because he knew it was supposed to be going into developing bikes and doing parts and all this and that. So he actually did that. And it was a little bit awkward when they first opened up because until things went formal, he couldn't even go get, he was locked out of his own, uh, when he was in receivership, he was locked out of his own factory basically. So he couldn't even, Get in, yeah, he couldn't even get into his own warehouse to get parts for stuff, you know, that people were asking for, or, or you know, obviously for Splitleth Racing or anybody else that needed parts. He couldn't get in there, even though there was a whole warehouse full of parts. He was in receivership, which meant until somebody paid off some debt, there was nobody going in there. So it's really cool to see that he is getting back on his feet. He did talk about why did Harley axe Buell, and and, and the thing is, is it makes makes perfect sense. And it makes the same sort of sense as why you should be, why you, why should you care if somebody buys a finance company? Well, like when somebody bought GMAC, which is General Motors financing company, the reason why you want to be, you know, why you're concerned about that is because they finance automotive and motorcycle loans. And it's like the little behind the scenes things that happens that you never think about when, oh man, Harley Davidson, Axe Buell, that's fucked up. But he said, you know, when they shut it down, they axed Buell completely because they didn't want somebody else to come in and buy Buell, buy Buell motorcycles and the rights to Buell, and then have all that access to the Harley showrooms and the Harley line of credit. They want dealerships 
to use the Harley credit. And, you know, basically when you open a dealership, you're not Harley Davidson. You are licensing, you're, you know, you're, you're a franchise, you know, you're kind of licensing Harley Davidson and the rights to their product. So he said, if Buell, if some other company, if Buell had not been closed down, if they had been sold kind of like BMW sold mini, you know what I mean? Or like any car company buys somebody and then decides they don't want them and they sell them off. You know what I mean? It, it happens all the time in the car world where a company will come in and like Ford used to own Jag, but now uh, Tatra or whatever owns Jag, right? Or Tatia Motors, whatever the hell it is. So Jaguar is still Jag, but they've got bought and sold by different parent companies. So if somebody had come in and bought Buell and Buell was still in these Harley Davidson dealerships because that's where the warranties and that's where everything else was at. You know what I mean? That's who the contract was with. Yeah. That other company, that parent company, would then have access to these not Harley Davidson, but the Harley Davidson dealerships. And then say they want to bring in another product to compete with the Harley, you know, like a, a, a Sportster, uh, I don't know, some 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 other bike anyway, or even start selling snowmobiles or something that just doesn't identify with the Harley Davidson brand. That's why they shuttered Buell completely so that somebody else didn't buy Buell and then get in there. And the other thing, the credit reason was because Harley Davidson, you know, they want all their dealerships to apply all that credit to buying Harley bikes. And they didn't want another company coming in and now they have to buy... 70% of Harley bikes, but now 30% of this other brand because it's selling real well. So they just they didn't need any internal competition or external coming in through the back door and getting any money and any credit away from their dealerships. And so they just had to axe Buell completely instead of sell it off because that's what probably would have happened. So he said it made, you know, if you look at it from from a backdoor business perspective sort of thing, it totally makes sense. And, you know, Eric doesn't even own the rights to his own name now, which is Buell Motorcycles, but he could start up EBR, you know, and at least he still owns EBR and at least they look like they're on the right path now. And uh, Shalana Moreta signing with them is cool because I, f I follow her. It's cool. You know, she's like this super bubbly California girl who's a badass racer. She raced at the Suzuka eight hour with uh, Josh Hayes, wife, Melissa Paris. And, I mean, she does all this great stuff. So it's just, it's cool and, and interesting that she's going to be racing over there in this Pan Delta event all the way in China. So hopefully they're bringing, they, they really do want to bring like more stuff into, you know, just over to the EBR side. I thought that was pretty interesting. And one last thing, should we talk about the ride with Redis or should we just, uh, should we call this a night? Should we, should we clip this short? Do you have anything you want to, I thought you were going to be a lot more chatty, Dr. K. No, I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry, I'm not, so I'm not such a chatty Kathy tonight. But no, no, go ahead and do that. Ride with Redis. Sorry about okay. that. Okay. All right. So let's wrap up with Ride with Norman Redis. So another motorcycle podcast that I was listening to, which is actually, that's the name of it. They were talking about uh, the AMC Ride with Norman Redis. And if you listen to the Motorcycles and Misfits, which I'm sure you do, everybody does now because they're on TV. They were on the show. They were on the, the uh, premiere and he was on their podcast. He said it's his favorite podcast. And the guys from AMP were saying, is the show something that will interest writers? And that Norman Reedus was known for his role as Daryl Dixon on the cult show, The Walking Dead. And that, that got me thinking, like, is it something that will interest writers? Uh, no, I think writers would be interested in like, a father and son with a dysfunctional relationship that throws parts all over their shitty chopper shop. Like I think, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's what we're given on TV. So yeah. if you make a show about motorcycles, of course, writers are going to like it. Real writers that like to get out and do shit are going to love this show because that's what he's doing. And it doesn't hurt that he's got Imogen Latonin, you know, riding alongside of him who, by the way, if you don't know who Zachiatrist is, you should check him out on Pinterest, on, uh, not Pinterest, on Instagram and Tumblr and all that stuff. He's a local uh, LA boy who takes photos and he's got a bajillion of Imogen, uh, scantily clad and not so scantily clad, but most of them are on her motorbike and out in the desert. Every, everything you could think of hipster. He's, he's a pretty hipster photographer, I got to say, but they're really, he's a good hipster photographer. So check him out. 
and check her out because he's like I said, he's got like this library of her and they go lots of rides together. And I don't think he can ride without taking about 73,000 pictures. So, yeah, lots of her in his portfolio and she's very easy on the eyes. So that was a cool premiere to check it out. I stopped it. I started to doze off and I stopped it right before they got to the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast. And I don't know. I don't know if I'm really going to watch it. So uh, I, I heard I listened to their show and everything and I listened to him on it. And it was pretty funny. So I don't think I need to see it happen. I'm going to fucking watch it. Good on them. for getting What exactly that. does he do? He just, ride, he just rides what? He just, does he have like a destination he rides to? Or is it him uh, Yeah, that's the thing. They were riding. He started out here in L.A. and actually started out in Long Beach at Roland Sands shop. He met Roland Sands, went on a little cruise with Roland Sands down to Palos Verdes, which is like over on the coast. And then from there, he rode to Imogen's, which is somewhere north of Long Beach. And then they rode up the 101, which basically uh, hugs the coast. You know what I mean? They camped at Pismo and then rode some dune buggies on the dunes, uh, which is the Oceano Dunes. It's the only dunes in or the only beach in california that you can ride your vehicle on and actually if you go back a few a few episodes you'll hear that they're trying to close that down uh, people that live nearby are trying to close that shit down so nix that and anyway so then they rode up to santa cruz and you know from la santa cruz is really only like a six hour drive maybe I, i'm not 100 percent sure maybe even four hours they stay the night at the dunes place and then when they get up to santa cruz they go to zero motorcycles which is really cool you know zero is a bitchin factory they started out making like electric motorcycles that pretty much look like electric mountain bikes and that's like when i first started following them and um now they're like got some super trick shit out and i actually talked to some of the guys from Hollywood Electrics that were riding a Zero at the uh, Helen Wheel Steeplechase. That was pretty cool. So they check out Zero Motorcycles, and while they're up there, they check out the podcast. And if you don't know Motorcycles and Misfits, they're they're just crazy. And they stick a big dildo, like a big like two-foot-long dildo on people's bikes when they come in. And so they got Norman pretty good uh, with that. I think they put like three of them on, on him or something. And so, yeah, it was just this... It's funny seeing pictures of him holding this giant dick, you know, and he was on the podcast and it was a really good podcast and he's just a chill guy. You know what I mean? The thing I was just laughing because it's like, dude, will it interest writers? What a stupid question. People went to see a Christian evangelical movie about motorcycling because it said motorcycling in it, even though most everybody got their money back. I mean, you know, you throw a motorcycle on it. It's like throwing a dildo on the front of like, a, you know, and then asking if a nymphomaniac would go watch it. Of course, dude, it's got a motorcycle in it. People watched OCC out of desperation, you know, and now there's actually a real good show about riding, <laughs> yeah. not just like fabbing yeah. up some shitty chopper. So, yeah. At any rate, I also thought it was funny that they called, they said, known for his role as Daryl Dixon on the cult show, walking dead. I have two problems with that. First, the walking dead, I don't think is a cult show. It's like the, one of the best, uh, sci-fi shows like out in the world. And it's way beyond cult. It's AMC's best show. Uh, I think walking dead and breaking bad, you know, probably are the two, main things that have brought AMC. I remember watching monster vision with Joe Bob Briggs on AMC and it used to stand for American movie classics. And now it's just like yeah. American movie kapow, even though kapow, you know, you spell it with the C like Celtic, I don't know, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. AMC <laughs> is really like come a long way from classic movies and monster vision with Joe Bob Briggs into these shows, but definitely anybody Anybody that's into motorcycling would watch this thing. So the other problem I had with that statement is that Daryl Dixon, that's not what Norman Reedus is known for. Dude, most people know him for Boondock Saints. I know you you are like a walking encyclopedia of Hollywood riffraff and flotsam and jetsam. And I think that you could probably name off five or six movies right off the top of your head that he was in that people don't even know. I'm just yeah. going to go with Boondock oh, Saints. Oh, well, oh, minor roles too. Like he was in Blade 2 and he was in Pandorum for like a second. But I mean, a lot of minor stuff. But yeah, mostly it's Boondock Saints. 
he was in a movie called Sky and he was in a movie called Air, which I thought that's kind of funny that he was in a movie, two movies about the atmosphere. Um, he was in this movie. I think it was a made for TV movie called 13 Graves, which stars the extremely hot and sexy Catherine Winnick. And so, yeah, if you if you want to know like a real cult bike movie. I've seen this movie. I don't even remember where I saw it, but it's called Dark Side of the Sun, made in 1988 in Yugoslavia. And I totally forgot about that. And I didn't really, I didn't know this until recently that right after the filming was shot, the, you know, the war started over there, Yugoslavia, like independence and all that shit. Obviously, because it's not called Yugoslavia anymore, right? So, The thing is, is that like there's six, all, there's six different countries now. Yeah, I know. So like all the shit went down right as they were like wrapping filming. So it got hidden in Belgrade for a while in some warehouse, and then it didn't get released until like almost ten years later, straight to video. And Brad Pitt stars in that as a man named I don't know Billy or Andy. Fuck, I forget his name. But he cruises around in a KLR 650. Um, spoiler alert, the plot is about his skin disease. And it's so rad because the first word, the first line of the film is him in this like super wimpy, girly voice going, I want to live. I want to live. <laughs> and I was like, yes, dude. And, and it's uh, really Brad Pitt. Yeah, it's, it's Brad not Pitt. It's not some guy named Brad Pitrovich, and they just cut it down to Brad Pitt to get more viewers. His name is Prad Bit, and they. <laughs> 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 but no, dude, it's really him, and he's got his like fluffy hair. You know what I mean? It's it's totally him when he was doing like underwear ads, and he cruises around like I said on the KLR six fifty in this black. You know, he wears like black leathers everywhere, and he has a super dark tinted. Uh, visor on his helmet and it's because he has some crazy skin disease that if he even he's like a vampire basically but he doesn't suck blood he um, sucks <laughs> on, the, on the neck of these hot chicks that come to Yugoslavia so I guess he is sort of a vampire but what it is is he falls in love with this chick that loves the beach and everything and he can't go outside or else his skin will like instantly melt like Nosferatu so he's got some skin disease and after he goes to Yugoslavia for some healer to I didn't get. I, I read that on IMDb. I don't remember that part of the plot from watching the movie. So maybe I didn't pay that good of attention to it. But all I do remember is at the very end, he decides that fuck it, you know, and he takes off his clothes and just like melts in the sun. <laughs> it's awesome, and then dies. So, but he he cruises around on a sweet KLR 650 in the meantime. So, uh, yeah. So there you go. That's that's about it. Uh, Thank you for joining us for an episode really about nothing. It's mostly about flat tracking and uh, rapping. Wow, what an awkward segue into a wrap up. <laughs> it's <was> awful. <laughs> Help me segue out of this. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for episode 30 of Creative Marketing Podcast. The episode we're probably going to call Flat Track Blabbage. So. We'd like to uh, thank everyone for listening. Dr. K, thank you for coming on and helping out. Thank you to everybody that we mentioned in the beginning. Daily Bikers, YetiBuilt.com, GoodbyeMigraine.org, and DoGallery.com. And I think we should kick off the sorry. We're going to have a long sorry list. I wrote notes down so I know who to say sorry to. But Dr. K, you want to help me get out of here? Right. You got a cool sign off for us? Um, you know, just a just a side note, I've always thought it was funny that people refer to chaps. What does he say about chaps? We will find out on the next episode. Dr. K's dialogue is gonna be with us as we move into episode thirty-one. So why don't you stick around? Uh, right now I'd like to say sorry to a few people. I'm sorry to Jared Meese. Sorry to Nicole Meese, Indian Motorcycles, Harley-Davidson, the Scout FTR 750, the Kawasaki Motors that we talked about, Harley-Davidson Motors that we talked about, 
Yamaha Motors. Yamaha Motors we talked about. Uh, what else did we talk about? We talked about the Wisconsin International Raceway's Top 10 Bikes and Board of Directors list. For more King of the Streets action, go check out Facebook and the interweb for all that. Thank you, Michelle Mankiewicz, so much for sending us in the uh, Angel Sampy. And I hope her name's not Angel. I'm going to feel like such a dickhead. And uh, your video recap of the Real Street Drags. And we're looking forward to the next event you guys are going to be in coming up in a couple weeks now, depending on when this episode finally goes out, which depends on when we get our copyright uh, resolved. So anyway, the Isla Man, Ian Hutchinson, Michael Dunlop, the uh, T-1000. I'd like to say sorry to Fatty John McGinnis. We'd like to say sorry to Guy Martin, the woodchuck on crack cocaine. Sorry to the AMP podcast. Sorry to Tor- Norman Reedus and Ride with Reedus. Sorry to Brad Pitt and the Dark Side of the Moon. Dark Side of the Sun, actually. Sorry to Motorcycles and Misfits podcast in sunny Santa Cruz, California. I bet it's fucking hot because it's hot here. California, what the fuck's going on with you? Ah! Big shout-outs and apologies to all the people that we endorsed at the beginning of the show. That includes Dan Michael at DailyBikers.com. Go check him out. GoodbyeMigraine.org. Yeti Built at yeti-built.com Mark Dugalli at dugallery.com Please check us out at creative-writing.com on the interwebs. Check us out at Tumblr at creative-writing as well. At Creative Writer on Twitter and uh, leave us a review on iTunes or on SoundCloud wherever you prefer to get your music streamed into your ears. Leaving us a review in iTunes or on the Google Play Store will increase our, uh, I guess, our ratings is what we're looking for. Uh, So the more reviews you leave, even if they're crummy, uh, I guess the more people will be able to see us. And that brings some excitement for us. Mostly tears for other people that have to listen to my voice. Also, Nikki Schroeder, your package should be arriving on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, maybe even Monday, if the United States Postal Service does what they're supposed to do. Also, listener Paul, we hope you're having a good time cruising around Romania on uh, something from Korea that's more fun than a Psy album, that crazy little scooter you're riding. All right, everybody, keep your knees in the breeze, and if you're in California, keep your bones out of the sun. It's going to be a hot one out there. It's supposed to be 108 here today. Cloudy with the phone. Shut up! Hey, wait, 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 wait. Hey, 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 can you hear me? Can you hear me? And then that was that, but they, they made it. It's like all Chinese. So as they say, we made it Santa Cruz. He didn't mention Shalina Moreta. I don't, to my, to my recollection, but you know, United Kingdom and <laughs> Ireland. Uh, they've said that a few times, but they really have now. So, but what, you know what I mean? The, let me read here what it said. I know there was something in there about that. The flow of your engine and the way, you know, blah, 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 blah. having to tear that down. Another national. Yeah. Well, the, the round to it is actually the, uh, what the mechanics get we saw the pro class which was people from all over they're making it smaller around but longer stroke and t1000 <laughs> yeah he did what so what they're they're doing what i'm saying but again i didn't get around to it all right i'm gonna edit that out That's stupid the different um racing professionals oh the joys of editing this is gonna take fucking hours to edit well, I actually should probably go. I need to edit this part out. Blah, 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 blah.